0: Hello, writers! I'm Britt Three, and you're listening to College Writing Actually, where we talk about the how-to and how-come of college writing and writing instruction every other Wednesday. I'm joined today by a returning guest, Anne Kirkian, the Senior Associate Director for Writing and English Language Support. Thanks for coming back, Anne. It's great to be back, Britt. For those who... For those of you who missed Anne's debut, definitely check out our episode, How Do You Actually Work With Multilingual Learners Effectively. It was such a good starter pack for any writing tutor or teacher wanting to support that, that large population of writers. So Anne is back today to talk to multilingual writers themselves. There's so much writing advice floating around out there, and it is overwhelming. Today, what are actually some good writing tips for multilingual learners? But before we go into what's right, let's talk about some well meaning but misleading advice. And I'm sure you've heard just about all of it.
1: (laughs) Well, probably not all of it, um, but I do hear some of the same things come up over and over again. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll share some things that I hear from my students quite a bit. So I think one thing to think about is where the advice from language classes or from language self-study can apply versus where it doesn't. So one thing that happens for a lot of my students here at Brown is they spend so much time and effort thinking about the how mm-hmm. um, they're really thinking about the expression the language of something that the what of what they're actually trying to communicate mm-hmm. sometimes really gets lost mm-hmm. um, and that totally makes sense if you think about this advice right you spend so much energy in language courses focusing on the how how do I construct this tense right how do I create these various question formations in English and mm-hmm. how does it change based on the type of question I'm asking? how do I use language differently to show certainty versus uncertainty? Mm -hmm. And so there's just all of these details about the how. And it it is important, but when we're writing, we really need to solidify the what, Mm -hmm. and that means trying to get comfortable with the how. It's gonna be messy for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that probably happens to all writers, I think, but for my multilingual students, the expression feels really high stakes because when you're writing in another language, Every word choice, every structure requires thought. It's a huge cognitive load, too. Like, that is just tiring. And so a lot of times when you do write something, then you're feeling that you can't fix it or correct Mm -hmm. it because you've put all this time and energy into it. And so when that focus and energy ends up so much on the language and the how that's where I see a lot of frustration mm-hmm. happen for my students. And it's coming out of good advice from language classes, but it's not really applying in the writing process. Yeah. Um, another piece of advice that and a question I get a lot is about translation. So many of my students have been told um, that they should be writing only in English, um, that translation um, is harder actually than just writing it in English up front, mm. or it might help them to develop their writing skills faster if they just sit down and do it in English. And I, I totally get where that advice is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even given that advice it, myself in certain situations because I think translation is such an incredibly nuanced skill. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels like if students are writing and then translating, they're giving themselves extra work. And so okay. I think that's where that... Again, the advice is well-meaning. I get where it's coming from. But a lot of times I'll see students who, when they're putting something down in English... That takes a really long time because they're having to do that cognitive work. Yes. And that actually is making the process longer, harder, more wedded to the ideas. And then you add a layer of difficulty for students who are also struggling with writer's block. So if it's you versus the <laughs> oh god page, yeah. and then you're also thinking about every word, yeah. I mean, you're just mentally exhausted. Yeah,
0: it's never going to be done.
1: Yeah. Um, and so not translating isn't necessarily... It's not necessarily going to work in every context. Um, I also hear advice that are these big sort of overarching language generalizations. Um, I'm sure many students have heard, you know, oh, the passive voice is weak. You should never start a sentence with a conjunction. I don't think you can never do anything in language. I'll just put that out there. So if someone says you can never, um, I'm going to be the first person saying, well, actually, (laughs) um, well, why can't you? Mm -hmm. And, and, And there are plenty of reasons why those sorts of things might be true in certain writing situations Mm -hmm. but it it doesn't take into account the fact that writing is dependent on context and audience and purpose and tone and voice Mm -hmm. and so I'll see students work themselves into knots and they're trying to avoid the passive voice when it would actually just be fine in the context that they're writing in and so I think the thing to question and interrogate is, is this advice that I've heard going to work for my writing context? Yeah. It's just not broadly applicable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I can, like you said, I can sort of see how people, writing instructors, might think these are solid places to start. But from what I'm hearing from you, they become counterproductive when we present them as hard and fast rules. Absolutely. Like a never or an always or a this will certainly help you or this will certainly be the destruction of all of your writing. <laughs>
1: yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And there was so much writing advice that I got that people were like, this is so great. It works for me. Mm-hmm. And then I tried it and I'm like, this isn't working for me. It must be me. Mm-hmm. I must not be following the advice correctly yeah. or I misunderstood something. I feel the same way about time management. Um, so many people have like an app that works for them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm a, I'm a pen and paper I cross off my to do list. It same. just works for me. And so in the same way, what works for you as a writer is so personalized mm-hmm. and I think it does involve a ton of trial and error to figure out, well, what are these writing strategies that work for me, particularly mm-hmm. if you're having problems getting words down on the page. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I tell my students whatever way works for you and whatever ways you're using language. So maybe you need to free write or you mind map in a different language mm-hmm. because you're just getting the ideas flowing mm-hmm. and you're, that's just how you're getting started. Great. Great. You sit down and you type a messy draft, and I'll see students do this in a mix of English and other languages Mm -hmm. because they say, I'm not going to stop my ideas flowing to stop and look up a vocabulary word. I'll figure it out later. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll see a text and I'll say, okay, I've got English and Arabic, and and we're going to start to work from there. This is great. Um, Do you even need to use language or writing at all? Um, I talked myself in the shower. I, my family knows, or when I'm (laughs) doing dishes, my family and people in my house know that if I'm in the shower and they just hear me repeating myself over and over again, they'll kind of laugh. They're like, oh, she's trying to write something. Okay. Um, because I cannot, for this podcast, I (laughs) I can't (laughs) write anything down until I just like talk it out with myself a little bit. Um, Yeah. And that, that might be what students need. They might just sit down with a, need to sit down with a friend and talk it out, um, for a lot of times, if students are in my office and we're grappling with a piece of language, you'll hear me say, leave the paper aside. Sometimes we, like, put the paper under the desk. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you care about. Tell me what the takeaway is. Right. And I can't tell you how often a student will go, well, what I really want to say is this, this, and this. Oh, I just said it. And right. so just kind of whatever works for them to Absolutely. get that out. And so. What I would tell my students is however you're producing the language is valid. That is part of your process. Even if there isn't language on the page, you're still producing language. And that language is important, but it's not everything. Right. I think the other really important thing to know is that language skills transfer. So, um, and research has shown this is particularly true in reading. So anything you're doing to be a better reader in one language, if you are noticing text features, if you are asking yourself questions, anything you're doing in one language to read makes you a better reader in other languages. So these okay. skills also influence each other uh-huh. more than we may think sometimes.
0: Certainly more than I thought. I had never heard that yeah. before. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that what you what you're saying makes me think of the cross between language and identity, but also before I get into that language and audience. And so Mm-hmm. Because you're saying, like, sometimes you got to leave the paper aside. Mm-hmm. And, like, absolutely, like, when you're getting ready for this podcast, this podcast is not meant to sound like an essay. Mm-hmm. It is meant to sound like a conversation. And so even though I give you some things I want to talk about and I present as a script because that makes it easier to to transcript later for accessibility purposes and all these sorts of things, that's just a sort of run of the show what we hope to talk about. But... In filling that script in, because the audience and the format are more casual and more conversant, it totally makes sense that you wouldn't just sit down and be like, aha, Brit will say this and then I will say this. Ha ha ha. And I have written a script. Like, that's just not. Yeah. And so the, the format and the audience is absolutely going to influence how you create it. Like, the process of you even pulling your thoughts together. Yeah all the sense. The thing about language and identity, and it, that honestly comes up to me if you had said, the thing about writing is popsicles. I still would have been like identity. So, <laughs> I love it. <that. laughs> because I, I've just read April Baker Bell's Linguistic Justice. And for mm-hmm. those of you who caught that audiobook review a few episodes ago, you know what I'm talking about, where I'm going. So my research and my programs focus on black language and identity. But I can certainly see how some of these same harms to self-worth, belonging, value of intellectual contributions, all those things are under attack in other racial and ethnic populations of multilingual learners as well, which only doubles the pressure of like, am I doing this right? Am I saying this right? If I have to think in this other language, which is is being presented to me as dominant, then whatever I say in my first language or whatever other language I'm thinking in, if it comes out that way, it's wrong, and, the, yes. and then you know you have all this other baggage that comes into play when we present it like that.
1: Absolutely, and we think so much about language and writing as binary: what's good, what's right, what's correct. Right. Um, I mean, we talk about lang we talk about grammar as rules, mm-hmm. and. Grammar really just follows patterns because grammar never applies 100% of a time in any context. So even just the language that we use to talk about that, if yes. something's a rule, then there's a right or a wrong, right. when really it's pa- about patterns and choices. Absolutely. And I, we just can't talk about English and the many different types of English and how those types of English are used or accepted or valued without considering the f- the, just the the facts of the political and economic power that English has as mm. a global colonial language. My like goodness. In that context, um, we just have to think about that in terms of what our students experiences in learning and and using English.
0: One hundred percent. And
1: that also really ties back to all the different ways that students are feeling about being in college. Mm-hmm. They may be experiencing imposter phenomenon. So this is when students are feeling that they. Are, don't belong here. They they really shouldn't have ever been accepted to Brown. Everyone mm-hmm. else is smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, the sorts of family pressures and expectations about being in college mm-hmm. um, or for many students um, that I work with being in college outside of their home country Mm -hmm. or their home culture as well. And language identity ties into all of that, right? So all of those different pressures that students are feeling. And unfortunately, it's really common that students come into my office and they start apologizing to me. Mm. So right from the start of the conversation, I hear, because English isn't my primary language, I can't. Mm. Or I have my problem with English Mm. is. And I, I try to respond usually with something like, so the next time you come into my office, I wonder if you would consider mm-hmm. framing it in this way. Would you Would you think about saying something like, "I speak multiple languages, and English is one." Mm-hmm. I'd like some support for my goals for speaking and writing in English, which are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ask students like, please don't apologize to me for your language skills when you walk in. I, I would love to hear you talk about that as something that you you acknowledge and take
0: pride mm-hmm. in as an asset. Absolutely cuz anywhere else it is the cat tangential who cares writers come along with us. I, <laughs> the academy is so weird. It's like a huge sunken place that people actually aspire to. I don't get it sometimes. Like things work here and they don't translate smoothly. Like where are we that we're apologizing for being multilingual? But elsewhere you can get paid six figures for learning for knowing five languages like that makes you a huge asset but here in the academy we're like well if you don't know english and let's not get it twisted like out like the academy is a microcosm for society absolutely right, yeah. you're going to be penalized for not speaking english well in other places it, also but just like it just feels like we are in a sunken place The things that we make priorities in the way that we actually teach people to be ashamed of things that are actually assets.
1: And I think that's the entire that's the entire idea is that in writing center work and certainly in this sort of um, TESOL work that I mm-hmm. do um we really want to come at this from an asset-based approach, and I think that's why these types of conversations and the language that we choose, right? Mm-hmm. Even the conversation we had the other day about using the word multilingual mm-hmm. instead of English mm-hmm. as a second language, um, is so important.
0: Yeah, it is, and it almost makes it worse because we're talking about advice, right? And how yeah. all of the how the advice that students are get can get them twisted up, turned out all the things. And hopefully not turned out, my goodness, Uh, (laughs) how the advice that students are getting can can get them into trouble or uh, upset certain things or all these all these different things. And it almost makes it worse that we're saying, oh, but the advice is well-meaning, because if the person telling you these things were obviously being malicious, you would just write it off. From the beginning. But this is a person who is smiling and being polite and respectful and this will help you. I want to support you. And then they say these things that implicitly undermine your strengths. Right. That that shift from asset based to deficit based. And they do it with a smile. And I'm trying to help. And so you don't call it out as easily because you don't see the destructive potential. And that just makes it harder to speak against when it's presented in these more subtle, like, help-based ways.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why we have to always be reflective Mm -hmm. and I mean I've changed so much as a teacher over the years in terms of the things that that the types of advice that I've given or the way that I even talk about context and Mm -hmm. I imagine I would go back and listen to this podcast in years (laughs) and say like ah and there's a thing that you were telling students to do and why are you saying that and not framing it in that way and so Mm -hmm. I think that we that's just something that we need to be building into our advice is Mm -hmm. like we need to make it clear to students like this is you need to choose what works for you Mm -hmm. what works I'm going to give you some advice about what works for me that might not work for you and that might be counterintuitive to your goals Mm -hmm. Um, and not just act like we have all the answers (laughs) right Right. like that's just um, so much about making this this learning um, teaching and learning being really a reciprocal process Um, I think to your point of you know things of students kind of Thinking about this and, and students taking that advice and trying to process it in a way that mm-hmm. makes sense to them. Um, I'd share just a couple of things that I frequently share with my students. They say, I, these are things that I think about that I want you to know okay. um, when I'm giving advice. And so there's a great text um, by Helen Fox, um, and it's for writing instructors and tutors and primarily folks who are working with international multilingual okay. writers um, called Listening to the World. And she in that text she intentionally uses the language world majority students when she's talking about international world majority world majority yeah
0: um,
1: and I just think that that is so important and I so I share that with my students mm-hmm. um, and then I also share with them the just the data that most interactions that are happening in English globally. Mm-hmm. So most of these interactions are happening between two or more people who are multilingual Mm. and for whom none of them Mm -hmm. is English a primary language. Okay. Right? And so what's English is being used in that way globally. And so I think it's really important to share that with students. And in this way, our multilingual students and the ways that they may be using English, they are the world majority. And so I share that data with my student mm-hmm. and I talk about that framing. When you're thinking about your language identity and goals, yeah. remember that you are using English as a world majority student and in a world majority way.
0: What um, a paradigm shift.
1: But the language is important there, right? Yeah, again. <laughs> she kind of puts that forward. Yeah. Um, And we I talk a lot with my students and this is I think this is a tough conversation because, again, this is something that students take on as being so personalized. Mm -hmm. Um, But normalizing why certain language things just happen when you move between languages. So Mm -hmm. I get this probably happens with for you in the writing center, Brett. I get Mm -hmm. lots of conversations about articles. In English, is it an A, is it an N, is it a that? Is there no article? Is there an exception here? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just a super, super common question. And a lot of times students will say, oh, my problem with English is articles. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, 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 no. What I want to make clear is that that's not your problem. That's what happens when you come from a language that doesn't have this feature or a language that uses this really, really differently. Um, And again, I go kind of back to a data perspective. This is literally the last grammar point. Articles are the last grammar point Mm -hmm. that most people feel fluent in when they're learning English. And so this is not you. This Mm -hmm. is a feature of language Mm -hmm. that is complex and nuanced. Mm -hmm. And I would be very surprised if you didn't have this question. So this is not some sort of a failure of you in terms of your learning or your usage. This is just the way that these languages are different. Mm -hmm. And when we're moving across languages, this is just what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing you'll, if you're walking by my office, you'll hear me say a lot is you know, everyone in the world has an accent. It's depending on where we are and who we're talking to. Right. Um, I don't have an accent when I'm speaking to my family. I do have an accent in a lot of other places in the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that might be around the world or that might be just on my block around the corner. It just mm-hmm. sort of depends on my context. Right. And, so, and
0: who's listening And to who's you. listening.
1: <laughs> yeah. What is, what is, what's my speech compared to their speech? Right. And, and, and what is our relationship? And so I think that, that context is so important. And I really want my students to have those things in mind when they're thinking about their language and writing goals mm-hmm. and to also ask them to recognize and value their own language skills and abilities as part of that. Mm-hmm. So again, it gets back to sort of that asset-based yeah. thinking. There's a, um, another term that was coined by Yosa um, called cultural wealth. Mm. Um, And that idea of where and and there's a lot of things that go into cultural wealth, but our language is one of it. One of them. Certainly. Yeah,
0: certainly. Thank you for those plugs. Absolutely. We have to take seriously the harm that students suffer because of linguistic injustice, because it is so intimately tied to identity and the paradigm shifts that you offered Helen Fox World Majority accent for whom, cultural wealth, all of these things definitely help us to arm our students against some of those harms that they may have been taught over a long while Mm -hmm. and are just now having, like, articulated as a harm as opposed to something that is normal and expected and is just theirs to deal with. So, okay, and... Give us some good news. What are actually <laughs> some good writing tips for multilingual learners?
1: Absolutely. So we talked a little bit already about some strategies for just getting words on the page, you know, just how to get started, however you need to... to um, to get moving and just kind of get anything on the page or talk it out or whatever you need to do um, and focusing on that what before along with the how. Mm -hmm. Um, I get a lot of questions about vocabulary. So, how do I expand my vocabulary? Um, I feel like I say the same thing. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm repetitive. What mm-hmm. are ways to learn new words? I think that's um, the longer my paper gets, the more I use the same word over and over. Man, um, if I could find another way to say teaching,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that you know, just uh, how
1: many times you say, how can you say that? Yes. Um, and so, one thing that I, one piece of advice I give my students to focus on is thinking about learning multiple forms of a word. For use in their writing. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's say I'm looking for um, another way to say tell, because I've said that too much in my paper, and I look up the word describe and say that's a new word for me. Okay. So describe is a new vocabulary word for me. Um, rather than just learning describe and then looking up five other ways to say tell, mm-hmm. um, what I could do when I'm encountering that new word is looking at the different forms of the word and trying to learn those together as mm-hmm. almost as though it's one vocabulary word. So... Describe as usually used as a verb, but mm-hmm. then I would also learn the noun form, description. Okay. And so, in some places, in my writing, I might mm-hmm. say I'm going to describe, mm-hmm. and then later I could say give a description. And so, I'm I'm using the same form of the word, but mm-hmm. I'm building in variety.
0: Mm, give it a little juge. Yeah, and okay. it's just
1: it's just saying the same thing, but in a different grammatical way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe they. I would say, okay, well, it can be a verb. It could be described or describing, but those can also sometimes be used as adjectives. So I could have something like a describing word. Oh. Right? So an adjective is a describing word. It is. Yes. Okay. Right? And so, um, or then maybe I would learn the adjective form descriptive and say, oh, okay, so I just said I will describe, mm-hmm. and then later I can say in the descriptive paragraph above and so that's doing a couple different things Um, I'm bringing in more variety Mm -hmm. I'm using the same word but I'm just using different forms of the word so Mm -hmm. I'm building in variety in that way Mm -hmm. I'm also kind of getting like a a four or five for one deal I love me a good
0: deal absolutely (laughs) yes
1: grammar deal absolutely that's a thing Um, And you also remember it better, because then you didn't just learn six different words to say tell, and you did it once in your paper, and then the next time you write, you go, well, how do I use that? Mm -hmm. Because when you've used it in multiple ways,
0: you're able to then really learn learn it. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that's one way to think about vocabulary. Yes. Learn all the forms.
0: Learn all the forms. (laughs)
1: Um, once students have a draft, so I just said, you know, the how is going to be messy for a while, mm-hmm. um, and so then the question's like, okay, Anne, I listened to your advice, it's messy, like, now, what do I do? Right. Um, so once students have a draft, um, I, I, really recommend interacting less with the text every time you work through it, but going through it more times, um, and so what I have found for me, maybe some people can do this, but it is impossible for me to read everything at once and read for all of the things um what i end up what i end up having is a really good first couple of paragraphs Mm -hmm. because i've read it and corrected and then i either like don't get to the end or you can just tell which parts i've read the most because um and then someone's like your conclusion fell apart i'm like well i didn't have enough time there (laughs) yeah i fell apart yeah exactly um exactly so um reading kind of making a deal with yourself of like I'm going to read just for this Mm -hmm. but I'm going to read multiple times I'm going to interact with my own text multiple times for different things Um, it can really help with understanding things like flow Mm -hmm. or if you're doing particular revision or editing Mm -hmm. so for example you might say I'm going to read my paper right now just for structure I'm going through and I'm just going to look at the transitions between paragraphs Mm -hmm. that's it I'm not going to read for anything else Um, you even set a timer if you have to Mm -hmm. like I'm giving myself four minutes three minutes to do this um, or you say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read my paper for tense. That's what I'm reading for mm-hmm. because I feel good about my content and now yeah. I'm checking for this, for this language. Yeah. Um, I'm doing sort of the one, I'm going in depth and I'm able to sort of see my own language patterns more clearly because I'm really only reading for one thing. Mm-hmm. And the content usually wins over mm-hmm. the language. So I start to read and I say, I'm going I'm to revise and then I'm like, oh, but I want to change that. No, that's right. not what I was supposed to be doing. Um, so it helps me stay focused. And it also helps me using tools at that point, which mm-hmm. is another tip of just kind of use your tools. Use whatever tools work for you. Try out different tools. Um, so, for example, I, I use Google. So I'll do control F. And I'll say, yes. I know that I repeated a bunch. So I'm just going to read for word choice there. And yeah. maybe I could use a synonym or maybe I could just take it out Yeah, I don't need it. Um oh, I'm going to do a read-through. I'm going to pretend I'm a different reader and I'm going to do read-through this time where I just ask myself questions using the comment feature. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to walk away. Yeah. And then I'm going to come back and say, okay, now that I'm me again, yes. <laughs> uh, how do I answer these questions? Does this make sense? Um, so it takes time. And I think it's uncomfortable at first to not just really spend like deep, deep time in the text. Mm-hmm. But you're reading so intentionally mm-hmm. that usually students feel that they've had the chance to focus on both the structure, the content, and the grammar because they've read intentionally for different things. It can actually be faster, too, because you're kind of going through the text quickly and you're saying, oh, I need to focus on this. Oh, maybe I didn't. Maybe that's fine. Now I'll move on to the next thing.
0: Yeah, that is true. Because if I'm I'm giving myself five minutes to read for X, five minutes for Y, five minutes for A, B, whatever, that's a 15-minute situation. But if I'm trying to read this paper for X, Y, and A... Yes. That will inevitably extend the amount of time because then I'm having to shift between these things in the moment. The I'll be for me, I will be more likely to be distracted by the content. Exactly. And yeah. so yeah, no, I, that I didn't, I hadn't thought about it that way, but certainly just reading it more times with, in quicker yes. sets can help you to get through it with greater intention and quicker as far as time.
1: Yeah. And you know you focused on everything, Mm -hmm. right? You've given yourself time to focus on all of those different pieces, and you've said these are the language things I know that Mm -hmm. I want to look at. Um, So students usually feel like, oh, okay. I felt like I gave myself the time to do that. Yes. And it's actually the kind of the opposite of a reading strategy, which is to interact with the text multiple times, but in shorter,
0: Mm -hmm. for shorter purposes.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So you're kind of building on a reading strategy. You're using Mm -hmm. a reading strategy you might use for someone else's text, Mm -hmm. and using that to to meet your own goals. I'll say one more thing. I tell my students Go it ahead. sounds a little silly, and students are always like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> um, but read. But for, if you're if you're reading specifically for language, read your paper backwards yes yeah um and students are always like word by word well how is that helpful but no Oh, like, word by word not word by word sentence by sentence okay that's what
0: I thought you meant <laughs> I was like Anne. I know break I was that down that,
1: and I say <laughs> stick with me for a second um because it really allows you to isolate the yes. things a little bit and so read the last sentence of your paper first then the second to last sentence does that actually make sense did you yeah. actually need that transition or were you just throwing that in there because it felt
0: yeah, like you needed
1: it um so that's something that can be helpful as well. And also, again, you start to see your grammatical patterns a little bit more once uh-huh. you've broken it yeah, down and isolated it.
0: Absolutely. Those are great. <laughs> Those are amazing. Y'all may want to bookmark this episode. But you know, even as I say that, consistently, I see students frustrated with the time it takes to develop their writing. And not with like, oh, this five minute for X, Y, and A, just like the amount of time, like. Over two papers, I've been struggling Mm -hmm. with this thing or I've been trying to develop this thing. And they understand the words coming out of my mouth and the tips and tricks, the grammar deals, the nifty tools. But they want to arrive today right now. Yes. Especially my type A students who are anxious about being elite because elite is what they've always been called. And I imagine that pressure is greater for a multilingual writer.
1: Yeah, that idea of and again that plays back into all of those other uh, other pieces of identity and having mm-hmm. identity questioned and and all of those things that we talked about um, previously. And so I I probably say fifty times a day um, try to remember that language learning is a lifelong process, mm-hmm. and this is true even in our primary languages. One hundred percent always feel the same, but you know, for me, English is my primary language, and I think about how much I've built my vocabulary mm-hmm. from this week to last week yes. I'm always looking for different ways to make language choices and language mm-hmm. also evolves mm-hmm. so we are evolving hopefully we're evolving with it too so even the things that were true to me last year aren't necessarily true right. now because the way because language is just a reflection of how humans are trying to communicate and mm-hmm. we're we're trying to communicate in different ways and so it's really hard to kind of sit in that process yeah um it's also really hard sometimes to stop and see how far you've come. Um, yeah, I have a friend who loves to hike, and she said when we're hiking, she's always stopping. She's going, "We have to stop. We have to turn around and look at this. We can't just look when we get to the top."
0: Um, she's a great person to hike
1: with, except that she hikes way faster than me, and I'm like, "I need to stop so I can breathe." But <laughs> right. yes, let's stop and look.
0: You can look around while I'm trying to retain oxygen, right? And go but for it. you know,
1: sometimes I feel like I'm trying to retain oxygen when I'm writing too. So the the metaphor isn't too isn't too far off, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, that idea of like, it's so hard to see our own language yeah. develop.
0: Yeah. That is. is
1: hard to see. Um, and sometimes I'll even say to someone, wow, this has come a long way. And they'll say, well, I don't really think so. I'm just in it. All mm, I see are the things. Yeah. All I see is where I want to be. And so, intentionally building in that time to stop, to appreciate, set new goals, and Again, this is going to feel a little silly, but if you really need some time to mm-hmm. like force yourself to reflect, mm-hmm. um, so this is something that I used to do with my students when I was a classroom teacher at the start of every semester. Okay. Um, write a letter to yourself, give it to someone else, friend, uh, a classmate, a relative, and tell them when they should send it to you. Maybe that's at the end of the semester, mm. maybe that's the end of the year, mm-hmm. Um Maybe you can write yourself another one for the end of your college career, but even um, even just having that moment to sort of stop and mm-hmm. look back and say, like, "Oh, this is what my goals were. Yeah. This is where I was. Yeah. This is how I use language in this letter," and maybe mm-hmm. that's that's changed from there. So, like, yeah. get somebody else to help you with that. Um, yes, writing a letter to yourself. My students always kind of tease me for it, but I, I firmly believe that we need to kind of remind ourselves of the
0: no. The I'm progress a, we've I'm a made. fan of it. I'm a fan of it. And what I also hear sort of implicit in that advice is pushing against the isolation of writing. Yes. That it's an isolating process because sometimes, especially when we're doing like things that are more foreign to us or just require a greater level of critical attention, we need to be either alone or in some sort of concentrated place where we can hear our thoughts, whether we're in a room with other people or not. We're not necessarily engaging with them while we're doing the writing thing. And so there is an element of isolation and of aloneness that goes into writing that we all just sort of accept yeah. grudgingly, but we accept it. But it's helpful to build into your writing practice community yes. that after the first draft, I know it's crappy, but I have um, a writing partner who they I get their first drafts and they get mine and we just know what it is right And we and I chose that person because I trust them. Yes. already because they are kind to me, because they do remind me of the growth, because when I am struggling with something, they tell me that in a way that they know that I can receive. Not right. everybody can talk to you about your writing in a way that allows you to keep writing. Right. right. And it's important to surround yourself with people who do. Yes. And so I think implicit in that advice of oh having someone give you that letter is have someone who you trust to give you that letter and who already knows that they're a part of your writing process in that way and how can you be a part of theirs like how can you have a writing team a squad a village whatever that y'all do this writing thing together and y'all have times that you know that you will come back together to either to write or to revise or to think or to bemoan to eat (laughs) Ben and Jerry's whatever the process is y'all are in it together I think that's such an important part of writing multilingual or not That is an important part of writing and being healthy in it.
1: Absolutely.
0: That's so good. Thank you, Anne, for coming back for such an important conversation. What are actually some good writing tips for multilingual writers? If y'all can hear this sound, it's my nails. You're welcome. Anyway, okay, we are out of here. Y'all, right on.